1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's get right to it. When I saw this story last night, I did not believe it. Um, this is the classic example of, of fake news. And it's a story that everybody's been around here talking about since the end of the Bucks game yesterday. How supposedly Bucks star forward Giannis Anakakumbu was denied service at this local restaurant, the Bel Air Cantina. Here, and and I, I don't mean to pick on today's TMJ4 because all the TV stations did it. I just happened to have their website report up here. So let me read this. Headline, Milwaukee Bucks fans outraged after Giannis had to wait for victory dinner at Bel Air. Restaurant did not have enough room to seat him. I'll get to that in a minute. Social media is buzzing over a fiasco. A fiasco at a local restaurant involving Milwaukee Bucks superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo. After Giannis saved the day with a game-winning tip-in with five seconds to go in Sunday's playoff game against the Boston Celtics. What a great game. He was ready to celebrate with a victory dinner down the road from the BMO Harris Bradley Center at Bel Air Cantina, which is on Water Street. But apparently the restaurant was too busy and did not have enough room to seat him in a timely fashion. Patrons inside the restaurant got wind of this and were outraged, and so was social media. Someone inside the restaurant tweeted a photo of Giannis waiting to be seated, and it went viral. That tweet blew up, getting hundreds of retweets and likes, with people furious Giannis wasn't seated in a timely fashion. All right, so it's this guy on social media who puts up a picture, and it's like he's got a picture of his face and Giannis is in the background with apparently his girlfriend and they're standing there at the host or hostess counter. And this is what he writes at Bel Air Cantina on water street and just watched Giannis wait for a table for 10 minutes and no one came to help him. So he left dude just won a Milwaukee playoff game. Get him some service. All right. The TMJ four story goes on again. I don't mean to pick on channel four. Everybody did. They had live shots outside this restaurant, but the story continues. But it looks like Giannis still got his victory dinner and also went from wanting tacos to pizza. Uh, Demota Pizza, just down the street, posted a photo of Giannis after his meal there. Continue reading. This goes on for another page. All right. Um, Bel Air tweeted an apology and said because of the Bucks game and warm weather, they were extremely busy. We're sorry we weren't able to seat Giannis in a timely manner as we would have hoped. Uh, the Bucks' big win, thanks to his tip-in and the team's great play, contributed to today's spring weather. Had people turn out in droves to celebrate, we had quite a wait. Um, the restaurant also sends the statement to today's TMJ4. Apparently, Giannis caught wind of the social media outrage. His girlfriend later tweeted out a photo of him saying, no hard feelings. Um, Bel Air, also, this is the Channel 4 story. Bel Air also wants to make things right with all of Milwaukee after this debacle, fiasco, debacle. The restaurant says if the Bucks win the next two and take the series, they'll give a free taco with purchase to everyone on Friday, and they'll hold a table just for Giannis. Okay, debacle, fiasco, all these things. Now, let me just say this. In the whole fake news category, this story did not smell right to me in the beginning because I'm trying to picture, okay, I've been to this particular place. It's packed after the Bucks game, okay? I'm trying to picture if a Milwaukee Bucks player, much less the superstar, walked in that he would go essentially unnoticed standing there for 10 minutes. I mean, if, if he had been standing there for 10 minutes, he would have been mobbed with people wanting autographs or selfies or to congratulate him. The, the whole story, it did not make sense to me. Could he have walked into the restaurant? Yeah, but just stand there and stand there idly, you know, um, you know, twiddling his thumbs for 10 minutes. I didn't believe it. It just did not make sense. People would have said, that's Giannis over there, and everybody would have been running up 
it just it did not make sense to me. Then there's a second aspect of the story that I want to talk about with you in in just a minute. But that's sort of debacle fiasco. Um, all right. Well, here's the update on the story, and it comes from you know, some an email just sent out by um, Bel Air Cantina, which issued an apology. We're sorry. We try to greet all our customers, etc. Here's what they say. We appreciate everyone's passion for treating Giannis and all customers with great customer service. It's something we strive to do every day. We reviewed the entryway footage from last night, and we are proud to reaffirm that Giannis was promptly greeted by our manager and told the wait time. Giannis has been a customer many times, and he has graciously accepted our apology for not being able to seat him and other customers more quickly last night. Our focus is now on supporting the team in the playoffs. Go box. So anyways, they go to look at the surveillance thing and say, this 10 minutes without being greeted is just BS, you know? And, and this is what makes sense. You want to talk about a non-story and fake news. Here's what happens. The guy walks into the restaurant. I can tell you what happened. The guy walks into the restaurant. It is packed. Okay, maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's a minute. It's clearly not 10 minutes. He would have been mobbed. Somebody comes up to him and says, I'm sorry, the place is absolutely packed. And they say, no problem, we'll go somewhere else. Right? Ha- happens all the time. I give Giannis credit for not saying, hey, don't you know who I am? Let's throw people out. No, he just says, okay, I get it. We're crowded. He turned around, he walks away, and he goes down the street and gets pizza. All right, this, this social media outrage and the hostility towards Bel Air Cantina and the live shots and all this stuff. Well, okay, maybe, just maybe, next time the lesson is, if you don't want to get accused of fake news, just because somebody sends out some tweet, you don't necessarily assume that it is, I don't know, gospel. Because apparently it did not happen like at least it was being interpreted. He wasn't standing there for 10 minutes. And I will go back and say again, anybody with any sort of critical thinking, okay, the, the star of the Milwaukee Bucks walks into a restaurant after a Bucks game. Is anybody going to really believe that he would just be standing there for 10 minutes with nobody noticing who he was? It would have, I mean, come on. The whole thing made no sense at all. And, again, Bel Air Cantina, which, by the way, I think handled this exactly right. First of all, I say, if this had happened, you know, we apologize, et cetera, et cetera. But then let's go look at the surveillance photos and the surveillance video, and it turns out, well, it wasn't like that at all. Fake news. But I I do want so it's a non-story. It is fake news. But I do want to kind of raise this sort of larger question, and I do want to open up the phone lines on this. And, And let me kind of back into this. I'm having one of those days where everything I touch turns to you know what. It it it, start, it starts out this morning where I'm getting ready to I, I'm standing in my kitchen talking to my wife and she says, "Do you let me make you something to eat?" And I say, "No, hon, I've got my coffee. I'm 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 just going to run. I'm going to go." She said, "No, no, no. You should have something to eat. Do you want you want let me make you eggs and a bagel?" And I said, "No, I I don't have time for eggs. Tell you what, but make a bagel." So she makes me a bagel, puts cream cheese on. How isn't that a lovely wife? I take the first bite into it, and I I feel something. I've taken a big chunk. I chipped my tooth. You know, took a big chunk out of my back upper left tooth, and I, I see it, you know, and it's got a little bit of the filling there, so I have chipped my tooth. So I immediately call my dentist. I've been going to Paul for, well, since he was a dentist. So, you know, this goes back, I don't know, 35 years or whatever. Call up the office. You know, I've taken a chunk out of my tooth. Can I get in to see you? 
And, you know, they, they say, the lady that answers this says, well, um, he, he's obviously really busy this week. Is, is it hurting? And I said, well, it's not hurting now, but I don't know what, but I've taken a big chunk out of this. And she's like, well, Jeff, I, I really, um, I can get you in at eight o'clock Friday morning. I really, I, I don't really don't have anything beforehand. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I didn't say, don't you know who I am? Here, here, let, let, that lady that's been, you know, waiting for two months for the appointment, here, bump her, because I want to get in at 3.30 this afternoon. I didn't say that. It was like, okay, well, if it if it starts really hurting badly, I'll call you back, and maybe we can do something emergency. Otherwise, I'll 8 o'clock in the morning. It, it wasn't, you know, do you know who I am? Get me in quicker. I, w- I was thinking about, and then the day has kind of gone downhill from there. So if you see me around, stay away. Just kind of stay away. Never know what. It, when it starts off and you chip your tooth, it, it gets nothing. It's gone downhill. I don't know where the rest of the day is going to go. But in any event, I was thinking about that. Now, we know the story about Bel Air Cantina is fake news. We know it did not happen as, at least according to the surveillance photos, videos, it didn't happen as social media said that it would happen. But I, I'm trying to go back and imagine what what should have happened. Let's assume that, in this case, it's Giannis walks into this crowded restaurant. There are people who have been waiting for tables for 15, 20 minutes, whatever. You know, you're there after the Bucks game. You're sitting around. You're waiting. The guy walks in. There aren't any tables available. Well, what what, what is supposed to happen? Is Bel Air Cantina supposed to say, all right, we're glad to have you here. Here, you go to the front of the line. Grew, you and your party of four who've been waiting for 30 minutes for this table, sorry, you know, you, you're, we're, we're going to seat the, the buck star. I mean, is, is that what they are supposed to do? Or are they supposed to, if it happened this way, simply say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, there, there's a wait, you know, you didn't have a reservation, we're really sorry about this, but there's, you know, there's 15 or 20 minutes ahead of you. Are they supposed to have cleared out a table, or put him to the head of the list. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, be, let's be really clear here that this did not happen, apparently, like it was being alleged to have happened on social media. But, uh, again, assuming the star basketball player walks in, crowded restaurant, people have been waiting 20 or 30 minutes, he didn't ask for special treatment. That is a credit to him. But, you know, is the restaurant supposed to have said here, you know, we're you're gonna you go to the top of the list, or you know, go up to some people who've just been seated or whatever, and say, "Hey, we've got Giannis in here. Get off your table." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I don't I didn't see what the big deal about this story was to begin with, because just because I mean it, it, it's great, superstar, wonderful. It's great that he's going to the restaurant, but does that mean that he's supposed to go to the head of the line? And my answer would have been, even if this happened, like the tweet was saying it happened, I didn't see Bel Air doing anything wrong. A guy comes in, as long as you tell him, hey, there's a 25-minute wait, we're really, or whatever the wait was, we're, we're really sorry, we're really busy. Maybe you say, hey, we can find you some seat at the bar, can we buy you a soda or something like that? But I don't see that you put the guy at the top of the list simply because of, of who he is, because how would that make the rest of the customers feel? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, now we're discussing this theoretically, because apparently what happened was not as has been reported, rather, walked in, somebody greeted him, told him there's a long wait, and he said, fine, we'll, we'll go somewhere else, no problem. 
414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sean in Germantown. Sean, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Sean. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of have been following it since last night. And, you know, when the initial reports came out that, you know, he had waited there 10 minutes without even being acknowledged, I mean, I just kind of thought, that's ridiculous. I mean, nobody um, should have to wait 10 minutes before being acknowledged. But now the video came out saying that, you know, it was just kind of any normal person walking in saying, yeah, there were packs, there's going to be a wait. And it just kind of seems like, you know, he kind of waited for a little bit, then they just decided to go somewhere else before this, you know, probable mad rush that you were talking about. Wait, well, can you, I mean, just when you think about it, Sean, can you imagine Giannis, okay, walking into a downtown restaurant right after he's, you know, had the winning tap in in the Bucks game and just standing for 10 minutes without people apparently noticing him or going up and mobbing him. He was there. People would be running up and getting selfies right and left. That's the first aspect of the story that made me question, gee, could this have been a 10-minute sort of thing? I didn't believe it from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I would hope that people wouldn't freak out like that. I mean, I think some people would. Um, but, I mean, I don't think it's um, too unreasonable to think that, I mean, personally, if I saw him walk in and stand there, I mean, I wouldn't go up to him, but I think some people would. Oh, but sure. I don't know if it would be a mad rush like you're talking about. But I'm sure that there would be some people that, you know, maybe that are sure. sitting there waiting. And um, and I agree. I think, you know, if you think of, you know, John and Nancy from, you know, the North Shore that don't care about basketball, if they walked in and they said, you know, they were told, you know, there's going to be a 30, 40 minute wait. And then Giannis walks in and yeah. the manager says, yeah, come sit right down. I can see there's going to oh, be a Oh, yeah. So, well, well, right. Uh, no, thanks. That's why, see, that's why, I mean, I I think, and everybody handled this great. Giannis is a classy guy. I mean, he, he, he apparently didn't, he clearly, forget apparently, he didn't pull the don't you know who I am. Apparently what happens, he walks in, the place is packed. They tell him there's going to be a wait and they kind of hang it like you say, they hang around and okay, well, you know, we'll go somewhere else. That That's, that's, Bel Air handled it right. Giannis handled it right. It wasn't a debacle. It wasn't a fiasco. It wasn't anything like that. It's just, you know, sometimes, you know, what, what ends up happening there. And I guess it, it was just, it was kind of frustrating to me watching the story break because I was thinking this just doesn't make any sense. But even if the story had been Giannis is told he has to wait, well, okay, what is Bel Air Cantina supposed to do? Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Well, the first thing that I thought was strange is that this was actually a breaking news alert on my phone. Oh, God. <laughs> so I couldn't understand what had happened. And then when I read it, I thought, oh, goodness gracious, you've got to be kidding me. But, you know, clearly this this was a non-story. Um, you know, Giannis didn't have expectations that they were going to bump anybody else for right. him. So he didn't cause a, a problem. The restaurant didn't cause a problem. And anybody that would have been there would have been irritated if they had said, Sorry, you waited 45 minutes, but there's somebody here that's more important than you, so tough luck. Right. Now, you could have said, hey, okay, Jeff, you're next. Would you mind? We'll put up an extra two chairs, and Giannis and his girlfriend can sit with you. Well, that would have been great, but you know, but 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 right, just to, to bump, put him at the top of the table. You you can't you can't do that. You know, if they had offered him, if they'd wanted to say, well, we're sorry, you know, here we'll, we'll clear, like I said, clear out some space at the bar and have an appetizer while you wait or whatever. That that's a different story, but I, I mean, I just didn't understand this whole thing about what what were they supposed to do. It was really a breaking news story, huh? It was a breaking news story, and I my first thought was. This poor restaurant, you know, until it came out that it was fake news, think of all the bad publicity yeah. that they got that they they didn't even acknowledge the, the guy. 
Right. You know, and, and I mean, and, they're, and so they're in a position, I mean, their first reaction, I get it. It's, it's, it was very, I thought, very good damage control. They put out this tweet saying, okay, we really apologize because this is our policy. We greet everybody. You know, we apologize and all this type of stuff. It's not acceptable and et cetera. And we'll give free tacos if they win. And then somebody says, go, let's go back and look at the footage. And, you know, it's not a 10 minute thing. It, I'm sure there was probably a little bit of a wait, but it's not like he's sitting there unattended for 10 minutes. Now, thanks for the call. And, and again, what are what are they supposed to do? Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Michelle. Well, a couple things. Number one, I've been to Bel Air on Downer a million times, and it doesn't matter how crowded they are. They always greet you. They always do. And I'm a nobody. And they'll come up and say, this is about the wait. What would you like to do? Blah, blah, blah. But the second thing is that I'm glad it wasn't true. And the Lena Taylor thing, you and I are on the same page for one page book. That's the first thing I thought is. <laughs> right. Number one, God bless him that he's going to the Taco Tuesday place <laughs> and not the big steakhouse. And number two, that he just said, okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, I love it. And number three, bring him back on Thursday because they have, you know, the taco special on Thursday and they run a contest. How many tacos does it take to fill this guy? This <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just no. Thanks for coming. I mean, again, it, it's just. I, I mean, apparently, th- th- but this, this again, this, this shows how that this fake news sort of stuff balloons. You've got the the one the one guy who's in the restaurant who sees this. He puts it out there saying it was ten minutes. Everybody treats this as gospel, and then the story goes viral. I hate that. And and then, you know, w- without anybody, and we're doing the live shots from outside the restaurant and things like that, and, and it turns out that everybody just kind of handled this exactly like it should have been. So credit to Giannis for not doing the, hey, don't you know who I am sort of thing. Credit to Bel Air Cantina for handling this like I think most people would expect it. And, you know, maybe, maybe just we... we why can't we learn to be just a little more skeptical of some of this stuff? Just saying. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Drew is producing the show today and always. You, you think this, this fake news story about Giannis will, will anybody learn anything from this? Will, will people who are consumers of social media learn at least to be perhaps a little bit skeptical because just somebody, po- somebody posting something on social media doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Will we learn that? The answer is no. The answer is no way because that, that's people. And and then and then for whether it's you know, reporters or TV stations or whatever, just because some guy posts something on social media, do you think that there might be a degree of like at least a little bit of skepticism before? Oh, this is going viral, so it must be the case. Do you think people will learn any of this? And the answer is no. And this is just another one of these examples of how you have this stuff that goes on social media that then finds its way into the mainstream. And 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 the truth of the matter is, you know. It could it could be very damaging to a business. You've got this wonderful local business, six six restaurants, you know, throughout the area, and you've got reports. Oh, this was a debacle. This was a fiasco. Well, no, it never happened, or at least it didn't happen like it was being presented. Huh. All right, let us switch gears. This would be big story number two: um, a shooting in a Nashville Waffle House. Gru, have you ever been to a Waffle House? You've been you you've been to a Waffle House in Nashville, not this one though. Okay, well, I, I you know Waffle Houses are it is a it is a national chain. They don't have any around here. Um, they're big in the South, but you know they have them. You, they have. I was in Canton, Ohio, at a Waffle House, I, and and what they are is they're 
if, if you haven't been there, they're, um, they're always open. That, that's the thing. And they, you know, have a relatively limited menu. I like their steak and eggs. And there's got, you, you walk in and there's probably, depending on the size of it, they're, they're, they tend to be sort of small. Um, you know, you'll have a, a counter where people will sit. And you'll have just a handful of booths, but it's you know it's it's a diner sort of sort of place. And what happens is you have a, a guy from Illinois who yesterday, um, early Sunday morning, walks into a Waffle House in Nashville. His name is Travis Ranking. That's the guy they believe who did it. Um, naked during the shooting, except for a green jacket and a semi-automatic assault rifle. The story that I'm saying, it says he may have mental Ill issues, may have mental issues. Okay, you walk into a Waffle House in Nashville, Tennessee, wearing nothing but a green jacket, carrying a rifle, and you shoot and kill four people. Yes, I'd, I'd say there are mental issues involved. Would have been worse, except there was a patron in the place who, you know, wrestled the, the firearm, wrestled, it's an AR-15, wrestled the gun away from him. He ran off. He is now still at least... As of most recent reporting, he is at large. Um, don't know if they're trying. I don't know if they know where he is, but everybody obviously in Nashville is very, very tense. Um, this Travis ranking is, of course, not unknown to authorities. Um, here's the way it's described. U.S. Secret Service agents arrested him last July for being in a restricted area near the White House. Um, apparently, he was detained after refusing to leave the restricted area, saying that he wanted to meet President Trump. He also says that he was being stalked by Taylor Swift. One other point in time, he had claimed to police that he'd been stalked, was being stalked by Taylor Swift. All right, after the guy was detained in the unauthorized area on White House grounds, state police in Illinois, where he lived until last fall, revoked his state firearms card at the request of the FBI. In, in Illinois, you need to, your guns need to be registered, and you needed to have a firearms card. So he had a handful of weapons. Um, at the request of the FBI, Illinois officials came in, they revoked his firearms card, and they confiscated four guns from him, including the AR-15 used in the shooting as well as a handgun. So authorities had taken the guy's guns from him. The system in this particular case worked up to this point. Um, they recognize he's got serious mental issues. The FBI passes this on to state authorities. State authorities act on this, and they revoke his license, and they confiscate his guns. So everything is working according to Hoyle at this point in time. Apparently, though, Illinois said that uh, deputies in the county where he lived, Tazewell County, said the deputies allowed the guy's father to take possession of the guns. So they took him away from the 29 or 28-year-old, however it was, old it was at the time. They took him away from him. But then they returned them to the father. The father promised that he would keep the weapons secure and out of the possession of the kid. So, all right, we've taken his guns away, but here, you know, we'll give them back to the father, but the father has to agree that he's not going to transfer them over. And the reports are that um, the father has now acknowledged, now acknowledged giving the guns back to his 
son. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, I'm somebody who advocates for what they call red flag laws. And I understand that there's some people who just disagree with those. Well, I, I, I don't. I think when you have somebody who showed characteristics that they are unstable, perhaps dangerously mentally ill, I, I think the idea of being able to come in and confiscate guns, get guns out of their hands, is something that is reasonable. And I think most people would agree with that. What happens here is after the guy's firearms license is revoked, after the authorities seize the firearms, they allow the father to take possession, the father promising that he is not going to give the guns to the kid. And then the father turns around and apparently does exactly that. Now, I do not claim to be an expert on Illinois law, and I don't know, and some of the reports I've read so far, it's kind of unclear whether or not the father can, in fact, be prosecuted for giving the guns to the son after they'd been confiscated. So I I don't know if he's violated a criminal law or not. But if what the father did wasn't illegal, it should be. I mean, to the extent that this isn't a crime in Illinois, if it in fact isn't a crime, this strikes me as being one of these incredible incredible loopholes in the law which would need to be closed now again i i I don't know for sure and and i've read a lot of stuff on different experts you know and some people say well maybe there's a charge they could fashion maybe there's not but if if the authorities confiscate the guns and make the decision okay well we're going to return them to the family member on the promise that the family member will keep the guns away from the kid and the family member then turns and reneges on that promise i i think i think that should be a crime if it isn't 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, is what the father did, should that be criminal? Did authorities make a mistake in returning the guns to a family member in the first place? Should the guns just have been forfeited? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In this particular case, I, if you're looking for blame to assign beyond the shooter, I think a lot of it rests on the father. If the father did, in fact, give these guns back to the kid, that's there's blood on the father's hands. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the, the, the firearm used in the Waffle House shooting by the 29-year-old man was had been seized by authorities last year after he had gotten arrested um, at the White House, um, or at least detained out of the White House. His his right to own that firearm was revoked. The AR-15 and other firearms were confiscated by Illinois authorities, and then they returned them to the guy's father under the father's promise that he wouldn't give the guns to his son. The father now says he, he did give the guns to his son. And it is unclear as to whether that is a violation of criminal law in Illinois or, or not. They're wrestling with that question now. 
to me, th- this whole thing, if it's not a, against the law, it should be. This is no different to me than being a straw purchaser for a firearm. You know that Gru isn't supposed to have the gun, so I go and buy it in my own name and give it to him. This is essentially the equivalent of that. And if it's not criminal, it should be. I think the dad, if he did, in fact, voluntarily give these guns back to the kid, I think he's got blood on his hands. And I think to the extent, uh, again, if there's some law that he violated, he should be charged with it. If there's not a law, there should be. Jim in Wauwatosa. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff, I agree with you 100%. This father should be held accountable. I'm, I have uh, three sons, and if one of my sons was uh, declared mentally unfit to uh, hold a firearm, I would appreciate as a father to get that gun back so I could sell it and then sure. maybe use that money to help him with his mental health care needs. Sure. But to give it back to a son that's been declared mentally unfit to have them, Right. Uh, there should be a law. I can't believe there's not. Well, I, I can't believe there, there's not either. But, yeah, I mean, look, I, and some people might say, well, they shouldn't have given it back. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to picture a situation where you've got firearms that might be valuable or something. And so, you know, you, you just, in, instead of confiscating them and forfeiting them, it's like, all right, we'll we'll let the dad have it. But in this particular case, apparently that if if there's nothing that stops the dad from turning around and giving the guns back to the mentally ill kid well i then you shouldn't be giving guns back to anybody period i'm with you 100% now thanks to call i mean it it's just it's it's mind boggling in the extreme that this could in in fact happen and i i bring this up because i know a lot of times the the argument that those of us make um whenever there is a a mass shooting is look at all the different gun laws that were violated. Having more gun laws wouldn't have made any difference. Well, in this particular case, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, you, you have the law that says he wasn't supposed to have the gun. The authorities came in and they confiscated the gun. Uh, I guess now the question is, can you ever return it? Or should there be some accountability on the dad if he did just turn around and say, well, we, we know you're mentally ill, son, and, you know, we understand that people think you're dangerous and you've lost your right to have the guns. Here, take them anyways. If, if you can do that and not be held criminally accountable, something is really, really wrong. All right, coming up next, our third big story of the day. Last Friday, another one of these, like, school walkouts with tragic results. Um, I have been worried something like this was going to happen for the longest time. I will tell you about it, and we'll ask if we're learning any lessons. Stick around. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, on, on Friday, I told you, and we talked about this this walkout that occurred at Oconomowoc High School on Friday. Oconomowoc High School um, is is a school in turmoil. I mean, they, they had their long-standing principal who left under kind of weird circumstances in February, and then they cut some deal where they paid him a whole bunch of money, and now there's like an interim principal or whatever. And, and Oconomowoc High School, school has been one of these schools which has apparently, be, because they've sort of lost control of the institution, um, the students are really kind of running it now. And a month ago, they authorized one of the big walkouts, again, for the gun violence thing. Well, okay, another month, another walkout. And you had a couple of these kids at, at um, Oconomowoc High School who arranged another walkout where the students would leave campus 
walk to the Village Green, and then listen to a program that involved, okay, the chairman of the Waukesha County Democratic Party, uh, a Democrat National Democratic Party committee member, and a, a, a Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor, all talking about um, gun control sort of issues. So essentially, the bunch of kids walked out to go listen to a Democratic Party rally. And they left school, and they were out of school for a couple hours. Now, I, to me, it is just absurd that Oconomowoc would allow something like this to go on for a variety of reasons that we talked about on, on Friday. But one of the things that I mentioned was, what, the, what is the liability of this? You know, when, when kids leave the campus during the middle of the school day, nothing good can happen. And in the example I gave was, what happens if some kid gets hurt? And I got a couple emails, oh, that's not likely to happen. Because if, if nothing else, again, this is the recovering lawyer in me saying, from the perspective of the school district, first of all, I just think it's inappropriate. They allow the kids, you know, to, to walk out of classes. They're supposed to be in classes. And a number of you, I think, agreed with that. You know, for if you're a taxpayer in Oconomowoc, you're paying, you're paying salaries of people you're paying school administrators to have the kids in school. And if they walk out to stage protests or attend Democratic Party rallies or whatever, all right, it should be unexcused absences, there should be suspensions, there should be consequences. But, of course, this is the Oconomowoc school system, and apparently the folks that run the high school, again, have lost control of this. But, again, the recovering lawyer in me is also saying, hey, as these kids are leaving campus and parading down the street and going to the school, what happens if somebody gets abducted? What happens if somebody gets hit by a car? You know, where where is that? Liability, And aren't we perhaps a tad concerned with that? Well, all right, that is precisely apparently what happened in El Paso, Texas on Friday. This is a middle school. And there was, again, apparently one of these school-sanctioned walkouts at a middle school where kids left class to engage in the gun protest or whatever. Well, what happened is an 11-year-old walked out of class with some of his buddies and they decided, well, we don't want to go to the rally, so let's just kind of walk across the freeway and let's go hang out in a park for a while. And, of course, school officials, they've lost track of everybody. I mean, all of these kids are out. They don't know where the kids are. So what happens is a group of about 12 to 15 kids, and these are middle school kids, they walk out, but they don't go to the anti-gun rally. Instead, they visit a park, like I say, on the other side of the freeway. As they are coming back, this kid, a sixth grader, is hit by and killed by a pickup truck. All right. Now the school officials they say, well, you know this this is you know this isn't our fault. I mean the the kids that spun off and didn't go to the rally at the walkout they were kind of an isolated group. To which I say nuts to that. I mean, what's going on here? You're in a situation where you know you would expect that the kids. Parents, I think, expect the kids are going to be sent to the school. They're going to be watched. They're going to be taken care of. And here, I mean, again, I understand this 11-year-old. They didn't go to the place they were supposed to go when they walked out. They went to another place, and the kid gets hit by a car. But these school officials that just look the other way to these walkouts, are you out of your minds? And how much of this stuff are we going to tolerate? How many more kids have to get hit by cars before people wake up and maybe say this isn't a good idea. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Markets 108. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Rules are rules or give her a break. Here's the story. It's a woman who is, she's, she's from Denver and she's apparently in Paris. Her name is Crystal Tadlock and she is flying back from Paris to Denver via Minneapolis. So the flight goes from Paris to Minneapolis. She then has to go through customs. And then she enters the U.S., she goes through customs, and then she then flies from Minneapolis to Denver. Okay, so that's the plan. So she's on, she's on this flight, the transatlantic flight. And towards the end of the flight, the Delta flight attendants come out and, and they're, they're offering, you know, as they do, they're offering snacks and stuff. And they offer her an apple. They're offering other passengers apples too. And she says, okay, she, she, she takes the apple. Then she decides, I'm really not that hungry. So I tell you what, I'm just going to save the apple. She puts the apple like in her bag, puts the apple in her bag and says, I'll, I'll just, I'll eat it later. I'll eat it on the flight between Minneapolis and Denver. I'll eat the apple later. I'm not ready for it. Now, I don't know about you, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, but I, I have, I don't know about the apple, but I've done that on occasion. You know, they come around and they've got the little snack things and, you know, you, you take one and then you're thinking, okay, I really, I, I don't need these cheese crackers or whatever. You put them in your pocket and you figure you'll eat them later. I mean, it, it's not an uncommon sort of thing. So why is this a story we're talking about on the radio? Well, all right, this is at the end of the Paris to Minneapolis leg. She gets in, the plane lands in Minneapolis, and then, again, she's coming in from overseas, so she's got to go through customs. So here's the way that the report are is she's going through customs, and she's got this apple in a, in a plastic bag that's in her bag. Um, it's in her carry-on. She says that as she's going through customs, She's pulled out of line, and her bag is randomly searched by an agent who finds the apple inside the plastic bag that it was originally handed out in. So Delta has these apples in plastic bags. So it's it's unopened. It's in the plastic bag. Um, the custom agent then turns to her and says, um, hey, um, I'm just wondering, was your trip to France expensive? She says, yes, it was. And then he says, well, it's about to get a whole lot more expensive because I'm charging you $500. She says she was fined $500 for bringing back a fruit from overseas. According to, uh, again, um, you know, when you're coming into this country, this, this country is concerned about um, agricultural products that might have bugs and things like that on them. So when you come into this country, you're supposed to declare fruits, vegetables, plants, and animal products. She's not thinking about this. She's just put the apple that they gave her on the plane from Delta. She's put it in her carry-on bag, and now it's been found. She didn't declare it. She wasn't thinking about it. It didn't come from Paris, though. It didn't come from France. It came from the Delta flight. The guy at Customs sees it, says, I'm going to charge you $500. On top of that... Because you did not disclose this, we are going to revoke your um, global travel, uh, your global entry status. Global entry status is something that you, you can get, you apply for, and it lets you go through customs a little bit quicker. You, you pay a fee and things like that. So they say, okay, you didn't declare this apple that you put in your carry-on bags, um, $500 fine, and you lose your global entry status. The woman says, well, wait a second. First of all, this apple, it didn't come from France. 
It came from Delta Airlines. It's in the bag. They gave this to me. Wasn't even thinking about it. Secondly, given that it was this, do you really need to find me, and do you need to revoke my global entry status? Right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this is this just rules are rules? She should have known. She should have followed this. Um, or is this um, customs being unreasonable, anal, and all sorts of other firms that you might want to use in describing what was obviously, to the extent it's a mistake, it is an innocent mistake. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a situation where they should have just, if they find this apple, just simply said, all right, you know, um, you're not supposed to bring these things in. Boom, we're going to confiscate it. Go on your way. Did she deserve to be fined $500 and lose her global entry status? Or is this an overreach by customs? I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, and we'll discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 114. This is Jeff Wagner. From the WDTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Eric Bilstead. Travis Reinking is in custody. The suspect who killed four people at a Waffle House in a shooting near Nashville over the weekend has been arrested. Police had been searching for him for more than 36 hours. He is now in custody. We'll get you an update coming up at 1.30. It's 1.17. And this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That is, it is good news, especially since this is clearly an unstable guy who might have had access to firearms. It's good that they've gotten him, and hopefully nobody was injured in the apprehension. Okay, if you're just tuning in, here's what we're talking about. Lady is coming back from on an international flight. Paris to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Colorado. At the tail end of her flight on Delta, the, the flight attendants come around, and they pass out, like, snacks and stuff. One of the things are, they, they give her is an apple, which is in, apparently, a, a prepackaged plastic bag. She gets the apple. She decides, well, I'm not really hungry now. She throws it in her carry-on bag, um, goes through customs, gets pulled out for a random search. They say, well, I, if you had an expensive trip to Paris, it's going to be now even more expensive because we're going to fine you $500 for bringing this apple into the country without declaring it. She says, well, look, they gave it to me on the airplane. They say it doesn't matter. 414-799-1620. Um, let me give you an idea. Lori is one of our many texters, and Lori texts. She says, for God's sake, just take the apple from her and send her on her way. I guess that's how I feel about this, too. I mean, it. first of all, it would seem to me that maybe if this is going to be an issue, maybe Delta should not be passing out fruit. You know, if it really is going to be an issue, maybe Delta shouldn't be passing out fruit on, you know, an international flight like this if Customs is going to take this position. To me, this strikes me as just... Uh, an overly officious customs guy. Rules are rules. It's not like the lady is trying to smuggle in, you know, dozens and dozens of apples or whatever from Paris. This is a apple that she got on the plane, for goodness sakes. Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me on. I, sure. I would say it's incredibly petty, but if the government wants to make you know, a big deal about this kind of stuff. What about all the ash borers that have gotten into this country and destroyed the trees or all the garbage that's gotten out in the Lake Michigan from the ballast tanks yep. coming off all these ships? 
uh, from foreign countries. I mean, I, you could just go on and on. Oh, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I, I was kind of likening this to, if we're going to talk about Lake Michigan, you know, if, if you have some private boater that goes out and there's a, a spill from, like, their onboard potty, you know, you, you've got nasty, nasty fines, and yet we've got MMSD that after, you know, certain overflows is dumping all sorts of completely untreated sewage into the lake. You know, where, where is the outrage over that? It's just, it's kind of like um, we really aren't seeing the forest for the trees. No, we're not. And, 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 you know, and I don't want to sound like an environmental nut, but when you look at the problems we've had with the global trade, and the, and the damage it's done to this country, you know, it begs the question, what are we doing here? Um, no, thanks, call Again, and that's kind of the larger issue. And I guess I, I this is one of these types of rules are rules things that, that drives me crazy. I understand why you, you have a rule saying, you know, we want to make sure that you're not bringing certain types of agricultural products into the country without disclosing them. And I don't even know. Honestly, I don't know whether or not if she had disclosed it, whether you could bring apples in from Paris or not. I, I don't know. But you know, her problem was that she didn't disclose that she had the, the apple. But her argument is, hey, I, I didn't I'm not bringing this from Paris. I, I didn't get it in Paris. I didn't get it in Europe. I got it, you know, 30 minutes before the flight landed from the Delta flight attendant. It really didn't occur to me that this was something I was going to have to declare. And maybe she should have. All right. You know, maybe technically the, that the rule says that she should have. But this is one of these examples. And it's why government agents, I think bureaucrats, hurt themselves by not exercising a certain degree of discretion and simply saying, Hey, you're not allowed to have this. It was even wrapped in the Delta packaging, for goodness sakes. All right, you're not allowed to have this here. We're going to confiscate it. Go on and have a good day. Not, gee, your trip to Paris just got a little more expensive. And by the way, we're pulling your global entry permit. Shame on customs. Shame on customs for doing this. It's 121. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, well, President Trump in the news going on the offensive and a CBS announcer and former NFL kicker, he's being ripped on social media. Does he deserve it? Stick around. It's 122. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks are in the middle of a first-round battle, and the road to the finals goes through WTMJ. Hear each and every playoff game live with the flagship home of the Bucks for the full broadcast schedule. Text the word Bucks to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. What a great weekend for Wisconsin sports fans. Obviously, um, on Friday, a lot of people were thinking that the Boston Celtics might route the Bucks, win the game, all four games. Uh, what a difference a couple of games make. Big game on Friday night. They play strong. Great game yesterday afternoon. Now the series is 2-2. Two to two. Who knows whether they're going to win or not, but you know there's going to be at least a game six and it's a two out of three game series, and who knows what could happen. Bucks um, clearly rising to the occasion, and then the Brewers. Uh, Brewers on a six game winning streak. Uh, some people they had a seven game homestand. They lost the first game to Cincinnati. Did not play very well. Then won the remaining two games, and then went on and swept the uh, Miami Marlins. So they won six out of seven games, six games in a row. Some people I know are kind of poo-pooing this a little bit, saying, well, you know, the Reds and the Miami Marlins are terrible teams. Well, okay, they, they are bad teams, but 
here's the important thing with all that. You know, if you look at, at baseball, I mean, the you probably need around 90 wins to make the playoffs. Some years you make a little more, some years a little bit less. But you probably need around 90 wins. The, the recipe, the formula that a lot of teams have is that you, you try to play the good teams even. Look, I mean, here's the reality. Um, St. Louis is a good team. The Cubs, for example, they're good teams. It, it, I, the Brewers are going to Chicago this weekend for, I think it's a um, four-game series. You know, could they sweep them? Yeah. Is that likely? Probably not. You hope, yeah, if, if they win two out of four in Chicago, that's a good series. You try to play the good teams even, and then what happens is that the teams that aren't good, you whip up on them. And that's one of the keys because, you know, a win is a win is a win. And if you look at the way the Brewers have played, the teams that aren't very good, San Diego is not good. Brewers swept them on the road to open the season. Uh, Miami is not very good. Brewers swept them at home four games. Cincinnati is not very good. Brewers won two out of three. Okay, you play ten games against teams that are at the bottom of the National League. You win nine out of them. That, that's that's great. That's a great recipe for doing it. You're not going to beat the St. Louis Cardinals eight or nine games in a row, in all likelihood. Um, but you play them even. You beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. And at the end of the season, you look back, and it's pretty good. And that's something I think that we should all be excited about for um, the way the Brewers are doing. Okay, let me lead into this topic and give Gru a chance to screen the phone calls, and then we'll pick it up right on the other side of the news. Jay... Um, Feely is 41 years old. He is a commentator, sports commentator for CBS. He's also, he's an NFL kicker, had a lengthy career. Um, He kicked for the Falcons, the Giants, the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the Jets, the Cardinals, and the Bears. Retired from pro football in 2014. All right? So what ends up happening is he's got a teenage daughter who is going to prom. Now, my brother and I used to joke when my nephew, my niece Sydney, started dating that we were going to have the boy come over and we were going to kind of sit around the uh, living room of the house cleaning our shotguns. Just kind of like, here, these are the shotguns. Don't, don't try anything with our with my niece or his daughter. Um, we never ended up doing that, but it was always kind of a joke. So what happens is, Feely's daughter is going to prom. And apparently, um, she's been dating the guy for a year. So they take a prom photo. You know, they come over for, you know, pictures before they go to prom. And I'm looking at it now. It's Jay Feely is in between the boy and his daughter. And the boy and his daughter, they're, they're decked out for prom. He's, he's, he's in a golf shirt and slacks and a baseball cap. And he's got a, a gun in his right hand. Um, and the, the text, the, they, they put this up on Twitter, and he sends it out, and it says, Wishing my beautiful daughter and her date a great time at prom. Hashtag bad boys. Okay, so he sends it out. All right? So he's got the gun there. As it turns out, I mean, the gun is unloaded and stuff, but people don't know that one way or the other. As soon as he sends this out, social media goes absolutely nuts. This is terrible. This is this irresponsible gun owner. How could he do this? He immediately responds by saying, people, it was a joke. The prom picture I posted was obviously intended to be a joke. My daughter has dated her boyfriend for over a year. They knew I was joking. I take gun safety seriously. The gun was not loaded, had no clip in it. I did not tend to be insensitive to that important issue. But he says, it's a joke. All right, they're going out for prom. 
This is kind of the dad who's probably kidding around saying, all right, you know, you be careful what you do around my daughter. He says he intends it as a joke. Let me give you, for example, uh, well, I, I could read you some of the tweets that come in, but here's one. Let's see. Daddy poses for a photo by standing between daughter and her date while holding a handgun. The clear message is what? That you should own a gun? You make a strong case for many gun owners should not own a gun. He is apparently sending a message that he owns his daughter, and this kid better not trespass on her property. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does Jay Feely have anything to apologize for, or is this just an example of how we have completely lost our minds in America in 2018? Was this insensitive, offensive? Should he apologize? We will discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620 is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here, one of our texts to start the conversation. What Jay Feely is doing is um, aping a dating my daughter scene from the movie Bad Boys 2. Hence the reference to Bad Boys. It's a joke. Okay, 414-799-1620. If you're just tuning it in, former NFL kicker and now CBS commentator Jay Feely, he, he poses for a prom picture. His daughter and her boyfriend, they come over, you know, you take the pictures. He's got, an, as it turns out, it's an unloaded gun. He's between the, the two of them, and he does it as a joke. I think it's kind of, my thing is, he's sending, it, it's again, it's it's a joke, don't mess with my daughter on prom night. And the Internet goes nuts. 414-799-1620. Carl in Kenosha. Carl, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. What do you think? Well, first of all, I was I was planning on doing the same situation. My grandpa was goofy. My dad was goofy. So I have to say a lot of times to jokes. I mean, one of my jokes that I do, if we're at a tavern or something like that, I'll tell someone like, uh, hey, the bar- bartender's name is this, and the reality is now. So I, and then there's a scene from, uh, Change, uh, change, and automobiles. Where uh, John Candy meets his cousin, and he does it, he makes a weird noise like that. Okay. And I was going to do that to my daughter, but it turns out the guy's a valid for it. Well, now I got to change my plan. Okay, but so, but you, you were gonna, you were gonna kid around. Your daughter, she yeah. brings home the date or whatever. You kind of kid around, and then she just rolls her eyes and goes, "That's my dad. He's always joking well, around on stuff." Here's the thing, though: she won't bring anybody. Around and this is her first boyfriend. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how warped I am and goofy. So I'm already kind of exposed. So yeah, so maybe in prom I'll be able to get a photo or something like that. So, well, right, exactly. Yeah. No, thing, but again, see that that's the that's the thing. I, I just it it's a joke, and anybody with any modicum of a sense of humor. I think would have to understand it was a joke. Like I guess I started the lead off by saying my brother and I always used to kid around that when my niece would start dating, you know, we'd be sitting around cleaning guns or something. Now we never did that and all, but again, it's kind of, it's sort of a joke. Um, if you're a practical joker or you've got a sense of humor or, you know, whatever, it's kind of like stay away. And I'm listening to some of these texts that are coming in. Oh, it's, you know, he says he's treating his daughter like she's property or whatever. No, he's being a concerned father. But again, it's he's got a sense of humor. He's trying to be amusing about this. But of course, you know, nowadays you can't be amusing about anything because we've completely and totally lost our sense of humor. And everything, especially if it gets posted on social media, everybody takes the stuff exactly literally without understanding any sort of context at all. And again, once again, without showing any sort of sense of humor at all. Now, CBS right now, the guy works as a commentator for CBS. So far, CBS 
has not said anything about this. It is going to be interesting to me to see how this all plays out. By that I mean, is there going to be pressure to discipline Jay Feely or to fire Jay Feely because, oh, look at this, and here's the guy with, you know, he's got the gun thing and stuff, without being able to, again, pick up the fact that it was a a joke. Um, Have we lost our ability to understand satire or parody? Um, Do we have collectively no sense of humor at all? And I guess the answer would be maybe, maybe. Stick around. It's 140. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When you've been stuck in the office, get caught up on the news of the day. This story just into our newsroom. Wisconsin's we'll Afternoon News with John Mercure. News Radio WTMJ. This is Mrs. Sharon Canings, head of Brookfield Academy. Please attend our open house brunch Sunday, April 29th, 1130 to 2. Brookfield Academy is five stars, truth, heritage, character, intellect, and individuality, especially character and truth. Character really is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. When I was a freshman, I had a couple other schools asking me to apply. I never even thought about it. I can't see myself being anywhere other than Brookfield Academy. Everyone is kind of a family. It's a small school so that it has a very close feel and everyone knows each other and everyone's able to help each other. When I was in third grade, the hardest day was bad and good because the lesson was really hard and the good part was that at the end I figured it out. At Brookfield Academy, we prepare your children for college and life. From pre-K through graduation day, see how good a school can be. Admission screening is Saturday, May 5th by appointment. Visit brookfieldacademy.org or call 262-783-3200. Steinbrenner it's 143 jeff wagner wtmj actually one of the themes of today's program has evolved into the dangers of social media and fake news and how people react with no sense of humor or react without thinking and then uh stuff just gets completely blown out of proportion or misrepresented here's another one of these examples shania twain shania twain Rue, are you a fan of shania twain yeah, country pop superstar. I didn't realize she was in her 50s. I guess it's how time flies. She's in her early 50s. Um, she is also, if you didn't know it, she is she is Canadian. Um, she's about to embark on a new world tour. And to promote the tour, she's you know doing interviews. And she's doing an interview with the Guardian newspaper out of Great Britain. And towards the end of the interview, they they ask her about President Trump. Right. And um, they, they, I guess the question is, would you would you have voted for him? Now, she's Canadian. She cannot vote. But this is what she says. She says, I would have voted for him because even though he was offensive, he seemed honest. She went on to say that if she were voting, she didn't want B.S., although she didn't say B.S. <laughs> she says, I, I don't want B.S. And she said, I would have voted for a feeling that it was transparent. And politics has a reputation of not being that, right? So she says that, all right? I would have voted for him because even though he was offensive, he seemed honest, but I couldn't vote. Um, so they, they post this article, and things go nuts. Things go nuts. Shania Twain says she would have voted for Donald Trump, and the backlash is immediate. How could she possibly do this? Um 
people um, canceling tickets, saying we're never going to go see you again. We're not going to buy you. We're not going to buy your records. This is terrible. To which she then immediately feels compelled to respond, I would like to apologize to anybody I have offended in a recent interview with The Guardian relating to the American president. The question caught me off guard. As a Canadian, I regret answering this unexpected question without giving my response more context. I am passionately against discrimination of any kind and hope it is clear from the choices I have made and the people I stand with that I do not hold any common moral beliefs with the current American president. Um, She goes on to say, I was trying to explain in response to a question about the election that my limited understanding was that the president talked to a portion of America like an accessible person they could relate to, and he was not a politician. My answer was awkward, but it certainly should not be taken as representative of my values, nor nor does it mean I endorse him. I make music to bring all people together. My path will always be one of inclusivity, as my history shows. So, full-blown backpedal. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. Should Shania Twain have felt compelled, in response to this backlash, to back off what she said, or to add context to it? Or is this just an example of the anti-Trump lynch mob that is out there in, again, the, the social media world. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this country pop singer says, I would have voted for Donald Trump if I could have voted. I'm Canadian. Can't vote. I would have voted for him because I think he says it like it is. And then the response is so vitriolic, so, oh, my God, we can't believe this, that she then feels compelled to issue tweet after tweet after tweet, trying to backpedal from this. 414-799-1620. Has the left lost its mind? I mean, have we really gotten to this point where, you know, you? she says, oh, this is why I would have done this, and immediately the reaction is, well, we can't buy her records. We can't go to the concerts. This is terrible. How could this woman have said this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, the largest takeaway from this story is, again, how crazed the the internet community is number one and number two another example of what what i will describe we used to talk about this as being walker derangement syndrome now it's trump derangement syndrome to the point that some canadian singer says well i think i might have voted for him if i could have voted which i can't and now it's oh my gosh we've got to boycott our shows we've got to get rid we can't buy our records this is terrible how dare she say that she might have actually supported this guy. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And now she's in this full backtrack mode. Well, I, I didn't. I need to give my answer context. Well, oh, she said if I could have voted, I would have probably voted for him. And I guess as somebody who regularly goes to shows produced and put on by left-leaning, left-leaning performers, all right, that's okay. As long as they put on a good show, I don't care. But apparently, that's not the way the world runs anymore. Vern and Oconomowoc. Vern, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, I just uh, was thinking I'd like to pick up all those canceled tickets and resell them. <laughs> I just think that'd be a great bargain. Uh, but actually, I'm appalled at uh, people taking this out of context and going viral on uh, something that was very spontaneously answered by her. And, and Shania Twain is a, a great, honest, nice person, and 
I think she's going to recover from this, and uh, I would just move forward. Um, yeah, no, thank, right. I mean, I, I right. I I think it's going to. Re- I mean, hopefully, it's going to recover too. I mean, I'm just I'm just amazed at the stuff you're doing. This newspaper interview, and you say, "Well, I I would have." Okay, what is she saying that is so incredibly controversial? It's not like she's come out and expressed her opinion on. For example, same-sex marriage, if it runs against what the orthodoxy is now. She just says, this is who I would have voted for because he struck me as being a straight shooter. Oh, no, you would have voted for him. We are not going to go to your shows anymore. I mean, really, has the world gone mad? And the answer is, yeah, it has. Leah in Port Washington. Leah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Leah. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Although this type of stuff just makes my head hurt, i got to admit. (laughs) I have to agree. Um, I was just saying that I am also, um, I'm a lefty, um, and a moderate lefty, but I am definitely a Democrat. And I am also really sick of this. Um, I am so offended by your right to vote for whoever you want to. And if you don't just, if you don't agree with me, um, I'm not buying your albums. I'm not purchasing things from your store. I'm not giving you my business. Or, you know, I just think you'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and you're you're exactly rightly. I mean, and and that that's the thing which is which is so frustrating about it. And again, she it's it's not even like she weighed in on one of the controversial social issues of our time. She just said, "This is this is the guy I would have voted for." She expressed her opinion. I mean, I I, I like I was saying earlier, I go to all sorts of shows by people who are out their politics outside of the concerts are outspoken. And that's fine. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy their concerts and stuff. It's, you know, it's like, hey, I'm able to separate the two. And just because you, Leah, have different politics than me doesn't mean that we couldn't sit down and have a glass of wine or a beer or something and have a really good conversation. Exactly. And that's what's so frustrating about um, this past election and just the politics of America today. I'm sick and tired of, if you don't agree with me, I can't even in the same room with you. Right, and, and we can't getting, support, right. It's, it's getting to that point, and I'm so sick of it. Leah, thanks so much for listening. See, we have lefty listeners as well, and, and that's and, and, and that's that's the idea, because I've, I've always tried to view things as there's not necessarily a right or a wrong, there's a better or worse, and that's kind of how I try to run the talk show, but it is, you, you look at this at this craziness that that's out there. Well, if you don't support me, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm not going to buy your stuff and I'm going to organize this boycott and I'm going to be outraged that you would have even you would have even voted for the person. Like I say, I mean, I understand there might be certain issues that cause people if you're a single issue voter and all that, but just the fact that gee, I voted for Donald Trump, this now gets that response. Well, all right. You know, what about all the states that Donald Trump won? What about all the people that voted for him? Is this now a situation where, all right, n- none of you folks go to the Shania Twain concert? Well, you know, nobody would argue that. And, of course, she gets sort of browbeaten into now having to do this backtrack sort of thing. Adam and Fond du Lac. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. I, I think it's uh, an example of the, the arrogance of the the intellectual, beautiful people, quote-unquote. But mm-hmm. as you mentioned, half of America voted for Donald Trump. But I think they have in their minds this idea, but the beautiful and enlightened people, that's outrageous if they would vote for Donald Trump. Shania, Shania you're supposed to be one of right. us, not the unwashed that would vote for Trump. Right. It's one of those people in, in flyover country, you know, not the people in New York or California. Those, 
those little people, those peasants in Wisconsin and in Michigan and all that, all that stuff. You should know better, Shania. You're supposed to be enlightened. Right. And then, of course, now, I mean, I, I always, Adam, I always try to think about what the flip side of this is. If she would have, if she would have done the same interview and the Guardian asked her the same question and she would have said, well, I was 100% behind Hillary Clinton, this, this would not have been a controversy at all. It would have been, oh, that, that's great. Cause you wouldn't have had the right that rose up and was offended. You, you wouldn't have had conservatives saying, hey, she said she was going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Let's, let's boycott her. But because it was the flip side, it becomes an outrage. Hypocrisy. Yeah, thanks for calling. It becomes a story in the Washington Post. Again, j- just think of that. I mean, if she had said, gee, I would have voted for Hillary Clinton, would anybody that supported Donald Trump or anybody that didn't think Hillary Clinton was a good choice, do you think anybody would have been organizing their own campaigns to not buy her records or to call her, cause her to cancel her stop? No, but it didn't. It, it is that, it is sort of this elitist image that, and look, and I, I criticize the president all sorts of times. And I mean, I, I, I have issues with President Trump and some of his policies and the way he goes about things. And I don't have a problem with that, and I'm willing to defend it. But this idea that, oh, if you if you voted for him, well, you're you're some kind of Neanderthal, and you, you can't be you know socially aware, and this is terrible. Oh, give me a break. Here's a text. Jeff, this reminds me every summer when Ted Nugent appears at county fairs. The left's head explode, and then everybody becomes in favor of... You know, boycotts. Um, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, okay, Ted Nugent, over the top. There, there's no question about it. He's over the top. Um, Ted Nugent, I think, sometimes does things and says things in order to get attention, and that's fine. He he's a provocateur. Um, but all right, he, he also, if you want to go hear Cat Scratch Fever at a county fair, all right, uh, buy tickets. If you don't want to hear him, don't buy tickets. But this, oh, we can't have him at the county fairs. Come on. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Somebody texts me and say, you, you mean to tell me that over the last three decades that there, there wasn't people who there weren't people who didn't like Hillary Clinton? No, that's, that's not the point. But because a performer says, because performers do fundraisers for Hillary Clinton, for example, I, I don't know too many people on the right who say okay well we're not going to go if we otherwise like the performer we're not going to go to that paul mccartney show we're not going to go to the eric clapton show we're not going to go to the jimmy buffett show because he supports democratic candidates it is the flip side though you say you would have voted for donald trump oh my gosh you know we're not going to show up this fake news story uh, about what happened with Giannis, and we started off the program with this i mean it, it's going national i'm looking at all these stories all the I've, I've got the one up from National Fox News, but the the story, of course, which was false in the beginning. You know, somebody tweets this picture of Giannis at this local Milwaukee restaurant after the game. He waited ten minutes. Nobody paid attention to him. Well, that's that's not true. Guy walks in. The place is crowded. They say, "I'm sorry, there's a wait." He says, "No problem," and leaves. Um, it, this this story, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And again, it's a fake news story. It did not happen the way the guy in social media suggested it happened and now it's national international described oh the restaurant's got a fiasco it's a debacle they handled everything the way they were supposed to handle it but people read what they want to read on social media and then it gets taken up It's 2.05. 
209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I didn't want the program to end without uh, just acknowledging the passing of Davy Nelson, who was a, a huge, huge part of this community. He was um, served in a variety of positions with the Brewers since 2001. Big part of the Milwaukee community for you know going on the last two decades. Um, he was an analyst in the television broadcast crew. He did a lot of things with us here at WTMJ over the years, especially you know Brewers extra innings. When we would do our opening day broadcast, Davey was a, a regular guest. When I'd be in the dugout or in our mobile broadcast facility, Davey was always very generous with his time, and I always look forward to talking to him. I, I think, and I don't know how many people knew this, but um, he had had a series of, of health issues over the years, and um, most recently he had been fighting a battle with liver cancer. We, um, which I am unfortunately all too familiar with, liver cancer is what um, my my first wife passed away from and just a horrible, horrible, horrible disease. And unfortunately, what happens is you can't, sometimes by the time you start noticing symptoms, it is already progressed to a level where there's not a lot you can do. And I, I remember we, you know, Davey and I had, had, you know, one or two brief conversations of, about that. And it's just, um, it, it's just a very unfortunate sort of thing. And again, it just seems, it. I don't know about you, but it seems like more and more when you listen to the radio news or turn on the television or pick up the newspaper, it's just, you know, more and more people who have touched your life in one way or the other. And maybe it's just people, you know, through the media or maybe it's people that, you know, yourself who who just, you know, are, are battling with cancer. And maybe that's just one of the inevitable effects of you know growing old. But it does make you wonder. You know, is there ever going to be a cure for this horrible, horrible disease? But, you know, Davy Nelson, who I think was really universally beloved, um, you know, passed away at the age of, of 73 after a valiant battle with liver cancer. And he will most definitely, definitely be missed. He was he was one of the good ones. OK, let's let's switch gears for a minute. Uh, last I, I, I a week ago yesterday, a week ago, Sunday night. Um, ABC ran the big interview with former FBI director James Comey um, as part of the Comey book tour. Comey's book came out last week. I I thought it was interesting because two weeks earlier, you had the 60 Minutes interview with the the pornographic film performer Stormy Daniels slash Stephanie Clifford. That 60 Minutes interview with the porn star drew 21 million people. The interview with the former FBI director drew like nine million people, and I guess I just I just throw that out there. It's it's kind of like okay, it's, it's all people who are bashing President Trump and stuff like that. But the porn star gets two and a half times, and I, I always hate to say porn star, um, just because I, I don't don't know what what is it exactly that makes you a star of the pornographic films. The pornographic film actress does you know two and a half times as many viewers as the former head of the FBI director. You know, go figure. But in any event, um, Comey has been, since that interview, he has, you could not swing a cat and not find James Comey. James Comey has been everywhere. TV shows, late night shows, radio programs, interviews with newspapers. As part of his effort to sell his book, he's been all over. It has been a full-out media blitz. Now, when... And again, the book went on sale last week, so it'll show up on the bestseller list this week. 
when those come out, I, I have no doubt that he's going to be at the top. That book will be at the top of the nonfiction lists on you know, the Wall Street Journal's tracking and New York Times tracking and things like that. So I have no doubt that it's going to be a, a it's going to sell well. But the interesting thing that is coming out about this is that at least so far, it is underperforming what they thought it would be. You know, they made an enormous, uh, for, I think they asked for like 850,000 copies for the first run thing. And, and it, it's going to sell well. Don't get me wrong. But there's more and more of these stories that are coming out that are, are saying that at least, you know, bookstore reports, not the stuff, not the pre-sell stuff, you know, that, that's already baked into the cake, but the, the people that are actually going out and buying this now that it is available, showing up at the bookstores, et cetera. Um, in San Francisco, for example, one story I was looking at says rather than selling the, the book selling like hotcakes, it's selling like cold cakes. And again, I, it's going to sell a lot of books. Don't, don't get me wrong. But this, the thinking was this is going to be the, the big seller. And it's, it's not turning out that way. It's going to sell a lot of copies. But it appears that the more publicity that Comey does for the book, the less interested people are in buying it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent that the Comey book underperforms, and it's going to sell, don't get me wrong, but to the extent it underperforms, what's gone wrong with this? Why aren't as many people as they thought were going to buy it buying it? What, what has happened here? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And there, there are at least most of the stuff I'm tracking now says that the, the, as far as Trump exposés go, that the Fire and Fury book is going to outsell Comey's by a large margin when all is said and done. So 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Are you planning to buy James Comey's book? Have you bought James Comey's book? Why or why not? And why do you think other people either are or aren't buying it? I've got some theories that I'll share, but I'm kind of curious. Are you going to buy that book? Are you going to read it? Have you bought it? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. Let's take a quick break. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, Groove. The Esterbrook Park Beer Garden opens this afternoon. Free beer. They're tapping uh, a cake at 5.30 this afternoon. I love the Esterbrook Park Beer Garden. The, the White Scorbers have done just a great job with that. Um, there is one change for the annual festival, which includes live music and a stein-holding competition. Traditionally, after the cake tapping at 5.30 p.m., um, festgoers would have received a free mug of beer until 6.30. This year, patrons will need a Friends of Esterbrook Park mug to get free beer for an hour. All right, see, here's an interesting story about that. Last night, my wife came in. She said, I've got this mug here. Are you going to ever use this mug? And it was a Friends of Esterbrook Park beer mug. I said, Fran, you can't throw that one out. It's good for discounted beer throughout the rest of the year. All right, 414-799-1620. The early reports are that the James Comey book, it's a seller. It's going to debut probably as number one on the different lists because of pre-sales. But that like in bookstores, it is underperforming. What's going on? Bill in Menominee Falls. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Bill. for taking my call. Sure. Um, 
first off, I don't plan to buy the book. I have no interest in reading it. But my thought is it might be a, something for a media promotion class. They might have reached the point of oversaturation with hey. him being out there so much. So many people are getting their their news through TV and online and, and things that are, you know, available today that people are probably saying, why would I want to buy the book? Yep. I'm getting everything I would want out of it just by turning on the TV because he's out there so much. You know, Bill, I, I agree with you completely. I, I think part of the problem here is that he is so overexposed. That there, I mean, it, it's like, all right, I mean, I understand that you've got some of the people who are obsessive about this issue, and you've got some of the pre-sales, but now that he's been out there, it's like, why buy the book? Why spend 20 bucks to buy the book or whatever when there's everything that's in the book has been discussed extensively in the media? Why spend the money? Right. I'm sure there's sales and marketing professionals and, and media promotional people that are probably crunching numbers right now going, hmm, did we reach that point where we probably put too much out there? You know, the was it always wanting, leave them wanting a little right. bit more? So just put them out there a little bit, and you might have done better. Well, no, thanks. Because, see, I, I, think, I think you nailed it in, in one. And I, I think that that's what the larger lesson It's sort of like, now, like, I understand this is a nonfiction book, but for, you know, let, let's say you're a fiction writer. If you come out and you're doing this big book tour, and, and you're writing, you've written this big suspense novel, and you spend all the time talking about what the surprise twist at the end is, and you tell everybody about that, well, the reaction is, okay, why are we going to see the movie? Why are we going to see the book? If there's, if you're out there as a star and you're promoting your, your latest movie, and again, it's the same thing, there's some surprise ending. What was the movie years ago? The Bruce Willis movie, The Sixth Sense. Okay, all right, big twist, surprise ending. Um, all right, if you're out there and you're promoting the, the, the movie, and you're on Good Morning America, or you're doing this interview, and you're telling everybody, oh, hey, stick around, because here's what happens at the end, Bruce Willis, whatever. Okay, I won't even spoil it, even though that movie's been out there for years. But if you give the whole thing away, why bother? And I I think that's this classic example. I think the guy is overexposed, and every time he goes on TV and starts doing this stuff, I think more and more people say, okay, well, that's kind of interesting, and here I'll, I'll watch him, And but now I've heard all that he, he has to say, I'm not going to end up buying the book. Now, it's going to debut well. There's no question about it, but a lot of that's going to be pre-sales. I think it really is a point of diminishing returns, and I agree completely with Bill. It's a lesson in always want to leave them wanting more, and I, I think this idea, I, I think... I think if Comey, for example, had just left it with the Stephanopoulos interview, at that point in time, people might have wanted to hear what what he had to say. And okay, maybe there's more in there. But you know, last week you get the reports of his internal memos; they're disclosed, they're leaked, they're out there. So you know, you know what that is. There's just not a lot new in there. Fire and Fury, which I have not read, but Fire and Fury, which was the other Trump expose. That sold, I think, in part because even though they had some of the juicy stuff, and and I haven't read it, I haven't I haven't bothered reading it, but it had some of the juicy stuff that was out there, and and maybe arguably it had all of the juicy stuff that was out there, but at least you know people were intrigued. Maybe there's more stuff. Maybe there's other things. Let's go start looking for it. With Comey, it's all out there. I don't think there is anything else that you can learn from this book. And so I think a lot of people are now saying, well, all right, I'm, I'll wait for the next Stephen King book or whatever. 
Um, it'll sell a lot, but a lot of the numbers that you're going to see, like I say, are pre-sales. I think, I think he's overexposed himself and it's going to ultimately hurt him. And, um, quite candidly, you know, I, I have no love particularly for James Comey, who I think, you know, most of his problems were of his own making. And I think actually betrayed the FBI in a big way by deciding that he was going to, you know, go public and clear Hillary Clinton, which, it really wasn't his authority to do, and then reversed himself and said, now she's under investigation. I mean, Comey just made a mess of his position, and um, whether he deserved to be fired, I, I don't know about that. But he, I think he brought disrepute to the FBI. I wouldn't be spending the money, but if you wonder why people aren't buying it, I think he's just been doing too darn many interviews. 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's not even running, and it's already broken. Now, I, I think if you're a regular listener to this program, you understand that Tom's Trolley Folly, this hundred-plus million-dollar boondoggle, as, as I've described before, I am convinced that the ten years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Park and they look at what will be the empty streetcar, they will say, "Why did people think this was a good idea?" and then. They will leave convinced that there is no intelligent life in Milwaukee or maybe in the world in general. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the insanity of this, and this is Tom Barrett's legacy. He wants to have the 2.1-mile streetcar that runs from the bus depot to nowhere on the east side. Um, very frustrated, I think, that he can't get more money to expand a streetcar that nobody's going to ride anyways to other places. And if you look at the history of these new streetcars, and I say new in quotation marks, across the country, it's not very good. You're starting to see places where they can't get them to run, where they're out of commission all the time in the winter. And this is the latest story. All right, we had the snow last week. All right, Milwaukee streetcar system, wired, damaged by heavy snow. City officials say they're investigating an incident involving Milwaukee's new streetcar system in which a heavy chunk of snow may have damaged part of an overhead wire system. Apparently, a witness reported seeing a large chunk of compacted snow and ice drop from an overpass Wednesday night, detaching a bracket on a cantilevered arm that supports the wire, leaving it dangling, according to city officials. So, all right, snow fell off. And, of course, you've got these wires that are all over the route of the streetcar now. So you're going to have chunks of snow falling all the time. One falls, takes down the wire. Emergency officials responded. They say the wire was not energized. While the cause is under review, the streetcar team is looking into all possible causes and will continue to take appropriate steps to protect public safety. All right, let's be clear what happened here. All right, the streetcar, you've got wires hanging from buildings. Snow falls. It knocks down the wires. It is winter. This will keep happening. The streetcar isn't even running yet. And already you've got the snow that is knocking down the wires. <laughs> wait, wait till December and January roll around if you really want to see stuff that happens. But again, I understand we've got Tom's trolley folly and some people say, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing since canned beer. Mark my words, this is going to go down. This is going to be Tom Barrett's legacy, and it's going to be the legacy of, gee, why did anybody think it was a good idea to spend $100-plus million to go back to technology that was outdated in 1930? 
It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Let's see, the numbers are in, and opioid prescriptions are down in every state across the country. That is good news. Are we finally headed in the right direction? Attorney General Brad Schimmel weighs in at 4.50 Monday on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, let me tell you the story of Walter Leroy Moody. Um, in 1972, Moody, um, he was married to a woman named Hazel and, um, she's in their kitchen. She opens up a package. It turns out to be a homemade pipe bomb. Pipe bombs are nasty, nasty things. It turns out to be a homemade pipe bomb that explodes in front of her, tears up her hand, her thigh and her shoulders and send scrap metal into her eyes. All right, Moody, that's the husband, was tried for making the bomb with intent to send it to an auto dealer who had repossessed his car. So this is back in 1972. The allegation is Moody has made one of these bombs. He's getting ready to send it to this car dealer who repossessed his car. His wife stumbles upon it, opens it up, and blows herself up. He was found not guilty of making the bomb, but was convicted of possessing it and sentenced to five years in the Alabama state pen. So he does five years in the 70s, all right? After he gets his, he and his wife subsequently divorce. After he gets out, he starts a crusade to have his conviction expunged. In other words, he, he wants to, he, he, he challenges the legality of it, even though he served his time, he wants to have his conviction expunged. And they file, he, he files motion after motion in federal court. Ultimately, it goes to the federal court of appeals. And the federal court of appeals says no. They, they, he loses, rejects it. So this is a 1972 bombing. He does five years in prison. He tries for about 10 years to get his conviction expunged. All right, doesn't work. So what happens then is angry at the federal judge who refused to expunge his conviction. In December of 1989, Moody mails a pipe bomb, steel pipe, smokeless powder, 80 finishing nails, to the Birmingham, Alabama home of Robert Vance Sr., who is a federal judge all right the bomb explodes when judge vance opens the package it kills him and gravely injures his wife so moody sends this pipe bomb to the federal judge's house it blows up the federal judge is killed his wife is severely injured two days later another pipe bomb kills an african-american lawyer in savannah that is ultimately traced back to this moody character and um, officials also intercept another pipe bomb, which was mailed to the offices of the court in Atlanta, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. So he sends another pipe bomb to the court. That gets caught. And they, he also sent another pipe bomb to the Florida office of the NAACP. So they intercept that. They intercept the one that was going to the 11th Circuit. But the civil rights lawyer is killed. The federal judge is killed with by the, these pipe bombs. And it's not the guy's first time at the rodeo. Let me say this now. There is no question the guy is guilty. His guilt or innocence is not an issue. No question about that at all. 
he is convicted of the murders by sending these pipe bombs. But the incident goes back to 1989. He has, for essentially the last almost three decades, been on death row. He's been able to avoid, you know, being put to death um, by various legal maneuvers and delays and things. And again, his, his guilt is not at issue. Well, the legal maneuvering ended after almost 30 years last Thursday when he was executed in Alabama for the killing of the federal judge back in 1989. This has started this huge discussion about the question of capital punishment. Specifically, was he too old to die? The argument being, hey, he's 83 years old. Um, he's been on death row for 30 years. There's no purpose in, in executing him. Is it unfair to execute somebody simply because now that they're of this age? All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, the underpinnings are there's no question about the guy's guilt or innocence. He doesn't acknowledge. He doesn't even claim that he did not do it. So here you have somebody who was a notorious pipe bomber, killed a federal judge with a bomb, killed a civil rights lawyer, tried to kill a number of other people, was sentenced to death, was able to stall that outcome for the better part of three decades. He managed to live till the age of 83. Was that too old? Should they have not put him to death? We don't put minors to death for committing murders. Was he too old to die? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we come back, is this a case for the death penalty? Or after all these years, we just simply said, look, putting this man to death gains nothing. Let's allow him to live out however much time he has. How much more time could he have? He's 83 years old. Was it cruel and unusual to put a man to death at the age of 83? I will give you my answer, and we will discuss coming up next. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers and Bucks each, let's say, I'm sorry, the Brewers and Bucks catch a break as each team spends Monday traveling. They're both back in action on Tuesday, and you can catch the Bucks in Boston right here on WTMJ. Our coverage starts at 540, while the Brewers and Royals are on 94.5 KTI Country at 640. Check it out. All right, the headline, screaming headline in the New York Times, Alabama executes mail bomber, 83, the oldest inmate put to death in the modern era. I told you about Walter Leroy Moody and the fact that he liked to make pipe bombs and send them to people and have them explode and kill people. He's been on death row since 1989. They finally, finally, finally got around to executing him. And there's a lot of hand-wringing going on saying, oh, it's just, it's cruel and unusual to put an 83-year-old man to death. Really? Tom in Fond du Lac. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You know, it costs taxpayers a lot of money to take care of people who are unequivocally guilty, and he could live another 20 years. So that's my point is we've already paid too much because our legal system has too many loopholes that he's gotten through. So, Yeah, amen, Tom. I mean, that that's the real outrage of this story to me, isn't that your ex- – and thanks for the call. The real outrage of the story, in my opinion – isn't that you're executing an executing a admitted murderer? Um, he killed a federal judge, and I mean, I 
I understand. Don't don't send me the email saying, well, the federal judge's life isn't worth more than somebody else's. But, I mean, he was just upset with a ruling. He sends these pipe bombs. He was a notorious pipe bomber. This is something the guy did. Killed a civil rights lawyer. Tried to kill other people. And to me, the outrage isn't that he was put to death. Of course he deserved to die. This is a classic example. This is a textbook example of why the death penalty, at least in my opinion, has a place in American society for the worst of the worsts. The outrage is that he was allowed to sit on death row for the better part of 30 years. Look, here's one of the big things. Now, we, we always argue when it comes to the death penalty about whether or not it's a deterrent. Now, see, I, and I don't care one way or the other. Does, does it deter other people? Gee, if you knew you might be put to death, would you not commit your own horrible act? I don't know if it's a deterrent or not. But I, I do know that by, by not imposing it in a prompt fashion, there's no chance that it's going to be a, a deterrent. What you need in these capital cases is they need to have a priority. There needs to be full and fair review to make sure that, you know, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, that you are not in the process of putting somebody who is innocent to death. Does it happen? Has it ever happened? Yeah, it probably has. It it probably has. Does it happen very often? No, but that doesn't mean that it can't. That's why you have to have all the procedural safeguards that are in there. But at the same time, at some point, I think you've got to be able to say enough is enough. And in this particular situation, like I say, there was no issue with this guy's guilt. But, you know, he was able to procedurally draw things out with one motion after another. I think you have to say enough is enough. And in this case, enough was enough was probably about 20 years ago. And simply the fact that he managed to make it to 83, well, before he finally exhausted all his appeals, well, I guess, you know, give him credit for being a great jailhouse lawyer. But at the same time, I don't see anything. I don't remember that asterisk that says, okay, this is what the penalty is going to be. It's capital punishment for killing people. Unless you're somehow able to string this out for three decades, make it into your 80s, in which case, you know, never mind. I Now, you know, what purpose does it serve? Well, I don't know. I mean, talk to the family members of the civil rights lawyer. Talk to the surviving family members of the federal judge who opened up the the pipe bomb that that ended up getting sent. I mean, see, that's that's what the outrage is, though. The outrage is that this was delayed for that length of time. Let's talk to Scott in Manitowoc. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, you know, these poor people are suffering in the families just to know this SOB is still alive for 30 yeah. years. 30 years. Right. 30 years. You right. know, if I commit a crime like that, Jeff, I want to die right away because I know what I did. I don't want to go to prison for 30 years. I was in jail for 30 days, and that was miserable. Oh, yeah. Well, you know I, mean, I, mean? I, I guess you, well, thanks. I mean, I guess you, you kind of get light. You kind of get used to it. He spent five years in jail for the first pipe bomb in 1972 for blowing up, his, you know, where his, his wife found it in the kitchen and blew herself up. Um, I, I this, look, this is if you if you want to write a story, the story again, it, it's not did you put the man to death at 83? The story is how how can you drag this out? And he was a jailhouse lawyer. He was a I, I think I think he had gone to law school at some point in time. So he was a jailhouse lawyer. So there's one motion after another and one procedural thing after another um, trying to delay it and delay it and delay it. There has to be some ending point. And again, don't get me wrong. I understand that you you do not want to be premature. 
You know, you want to allow people to exhaust all avenues. Make sure that, you know, the trial was fair. Make sure that they were guilty of what they were charged with. I understand all that. But 30 years, give me a break. Hey, before we bring uh, Scott, Scott Warris is in for John McCure today. Before we bring Scott, Melissa, and Greg in, I, I did want to mention one other thing, and I talked about this on, on the promos. I, I, I don't have to say, I hate to say I told you so, but, you know, sometimes that, that is what I end up doing. About a year and a half ago, the city of Milwaukee embarked on what I think and said at the time was a very poor decision to give a whole bunch of taxpayer money to Bonton slash Boston store in exchange for keeping the Boston store store at Grand Avenue open and the Boston store headquarters here downtown. The deal was the city of Milwaukee would put up $1.9 million in taxpayer funds um, as long as Boston store agreed to remain open. It was an unsecured loan of $1.9 million. Now, follow me, that was going to be put in escrow, and um, it would have been forgivable after 10 years. I thought it was a bad deal, and here is why. First of all, as I said at the time, I, Bonton, Boston store, was struggling, and I didn't see that this was going to turn them around. That was number one. But number two, I didn't think this was fair to other businesses. Don't see the city of Milwaukee handing out I don't know, you know, $2 million here or half a million dollars there to, you know, some other long-term business that's um, lost a lot of revenue, for example, because of construction or something like that. I thought it set a very, very bad precedent because now every business in the city of Milwaukee should be able to go to their alderman and say, wait, you know, you ponied up all this money for Boston store. I don't want $1.9 million, but how about 200000 I don't have 750 employees, but I've got seventy-five. How about half a million? Whatever. I thought it was a bad precedent. I also thought it was a bad investment because the future for Bonton did not necessarily look bright, and that has now come to fruition. Boston Store slash Bonton announcing, of course, that they're going out of business. Um, this money that the city of Milwaukee put up it is in the form of an unsecured loan. What that means is, since it's unsecured, the city of Milwaukee stands pretty much as far as you can at the back of the line. Secured creditors end up getting paid off. Now, the, the good news, to the extent there is any good news, is they didn't spend all this $1.9 million. Apparently, only about five hundred or 600000 of the, the city money was spent to, you know, renovate the, the building and renovate the offices and things like that. So right now, it's only five, only five or 600000 that hasn't been spent, as opposed to the whole $1.9 million. But the truth of the matter is, um, good luck trying to recover that five hundred um thousand to six hundred thousand dollars. Good luck because city is an unsecured creditor, and my guess is it's going to mean that the taxpayers are just simply going to have to eat that cost. It is unfortunate that Boston store is closing. It is unfortunately, it was also though very apparent that this is what the future was going to be. And it is interesting because nobody's critically analyzing this deal. There were some of us who said, bad deal, too risky back in the beginning. 
didn't stop the city from going ahead and doing it, and now the city taxpayers are on the hook. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what Scott Wars, Melissa Barkley, and Greg Matzik have on their minds. Stick around. It's 2.54.